Hey, chaps. Happy Thursday. What a time to be alive. Alrighty. So, uh, I was thinking this morning on one of the biggest fears of men is being sidelined. Fear of missing out, fear of being uh, shut out or cut out of a hierarchy, cut out of God's will. Uh, you know, we look at, at Adam in the garden, you know, oh, you messed up, out, out you go. You look at Saul, messes up, out you go. And so we build theologies around that. And, uh, you know, we build a theology around this vindictive, rejective, unforgiving, spiteful father um, who, who we make one wrong move and we're gone. We're out, you know. And so, so we spend our whole lives as Christians walking on eggshells and, and feeling bad and feeling shamed and, and condemned and whatnot. And so for me, you know, just really digging into this thing, my own life, you know, I, my father was, you know, classic English, you know, distant. Um, I love my dad. I, I, I idolize my dad, if you want to call it that, but we never had a very close relationship. And um, he, he was a good father. And the Bible says about, um, our earthly fathers, if, if our earthly fathers would give us food when we're hungry or, or, you know, when we ask for something, he, you know, ask for food, he wouldn't give us a snake or a stone. Um, Jesus is talking about his dad. He says, if you see me, you see my father. And he's saying, you know, your flawed earthly dads in all of their sin, all of their shame, all of their own issues and, and, you know, whatever their, their flaws and detractions, they love you and they want the best for you. How much more God, right? God, our, our, our heavenly father, uh, wants to father us. And so I grew as a teenager, I grew up with a lot of competition anxiety of, I've got to prove myself to God. I've got to, I've got to prove myself by my actions and my, my, uh, morality and you know you especially as a teenager you struggle with this you know you struggle with porn and masturbation you struggle with insecurity around girls you struggle with insecurity around guys you know am I cool enough am I accepted am I loved um, and one of the one of the one of the key issues we're dealing with there is the sense of a punitive father punitive in the sense that our um our our mistakes and our failures are final and so we we dread making a mistake that would get us kicked out of the team get us cut get us ejected and so we live with that with that competition anxiety with other guys and and we're constantly trying to compete and and keep attention with the, the, the higher status or with the fathers in our lives and all this kind of thing. But when you really come, come into understanding who Jesus was and his character and understanding who God was and his character and looking at the men who God said were good templates for us, 
Adam was never a good template for us. Um, Saul was never a good template for us. Who are the people that God says are good templates for us? Abraham, David, and Peter, right? And you look at those guys and you're like, you read their stories and you just see how they screw up after screw up after screw up, passionate screw ups. You look at Abraham. He, uh, he lied about his wife. He let his wife get taken into the harem of, a, of two kings. It's not once, but twice. He uh, banged his maid. He rejected the child that he had with, with her. He, uh, he had many faults that if anyone, if, if someone in your church right now, if you knew that he had done those things, no one would touch that guy with the 10 foot pole. They'd be like, please don't come to our church. Please don't associate with us. Uh, please don't call yourself a Christian. Please don't tell people you come to our church. That would be the reaction to that man. David, same way, you know, list tons of just things that today guys would be like, this dude's basically Donald Trump on steroids and we're not touching him with a 10 foot pole. Peter, you know, just a, a wild, passionate man. And, and this is what it was. All three were men whose hearts were after God. DVG, God never purity spirals our fathers who cuss, lose their tempers, mess around, but uses them as our models. Smoke, drink, etc. Yep. Rob, this is a double-edged sword. That fear of failure and exclusion is also a driver towards success. Yeah, definitely. You know, here's here's the here's the the crux of the matter, Rob. With with you know, you say you have faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. That's that's true. You know, it's true that our actions uh, and our our desire to please our Father uh, through our actions and our achievements that's true. But that's not our identity, right? So our our honor is definitely based on our our actions, but our identity is not. You know, otherwise David gone, Abraham gone. Peter, gone. And it's really interesting, uh, the difference between guilt and shame. So guilt is I did something bad, right? I lied. I, I feel guilty. Shame is I am bad, right? So I am a liar. I am a cheat. I am a thief. I, that's shame. And that's why we say to someone like, oh, he's shameless, implying that he did something that a bad person would do. But when you understand that our identity has changed, you know, it's, a, it's, that, it's that understanding that our actions come under the blood of Jesus, that Jesus, his blood is unbeatable by any of our own actions. You know, it's that, it's that metaphor of, of a king going into a brothel, sleeps with a thousand women, blows cocaine, gets drunk, uh, comes out. Is he still the king? Yes. He's still the king. That's his identity. That's his authority. Nothing's changed. But yes, in the real life, he's now got his actions are piling up on himself difficulties, right? We want to live with wisdom, but it doesn't change our identity. And, and this is the issue that a lot of men don't understand about, about David and about Abraham is that they're like, how did David never feel shameful? How did Abraham never feel shameful? It's like they were always just men of confidence, of 
cleanliness before the Lord. This is even before Jesus, uh, before they understood that Jesus was the lamb slain at the foundation of the earth for the cleansing of our sins, our, our guilt and our shame removed. They, they, were, they were more confident than most Christians nowadays. They were more assured of the Father's love for them than many Christians today. And so this is what it all comes back to, right? Is who is my father and do I know him, right? So if my father is some distant um, border master, you know, slave master, orphanage master, whatever you want to call it, and I only get called into his office when I've done bad things, because that's majority of Christians, right? Myself, my, my whole first five, 10 years of, of being a Christian, you only come before God to apologize and repent and beg for mercy. And you sing these songs of, oh, Lord, let not your spirit depart from me. And, uh, you know, just, Lord, give me the power to overcome this habit or this sin or this thing. And, Lord, I promise I won't do it again. And, Lord, you know, please have mercy on me. Whereas if you understand Jesus, it's a total mindset shift. It's I'm, I'm the son who's grown up on the sofa with the father. You know, I have... I have total access and intimacy with my father because I'm, I'm, he, he has seen me. God is more mature than us. God is better than us. You know, if Matthew 18 applies to us of forgive or you will not be forgiven, bless your enemies. Uh, how much more is God better at that than, than we are, you know? So we expect ourselves to be more moral than God. And so, so what I'm, I'm getting at here, chaps, is God is, is a good father. And we need to be basing our relationship with God on the template of, of Abraham, David, and Peter. Okay. We are not going to get sidelined. Why did Saul get sidelined? Let me just, we'll come back to that. Uh, David didn't resign the throne. Okay. Brilliant. I'm going to talk about this right now. Even Paul talks about the difference between milk and meat. Milk was the constant need for affirmation that you are saved versus moving on to the meat, having adventures with brothers and God. Exactly. So here's the thing with Saul and with David. It's, it's fascinating because I was asking this question. I was like, why did Saul get the raw end of the deal when by all, uh, by all outside measures, he was trying to please God and do the right thing. It's like, that's, that's the trick. It's the outside veneer of holiness when the inside is totally full of fear and full of insecurity. Whereas David couldn't care less what people thought on the outside because the inside, he was a man after God's heart. So um, 1 Samuel 13, where Saul, uh, the Philistines are, are pulling in to come and destroy some, some stuff. There's about 30,000 of them. And, and it says the, the Israelites are, are trembling. They're petrified, right? And so Saul's waiting on Samuel, the prophet, to come and offer a sacrifice uh, before they go into battle. And so Saul goes and offers the sacrifice himself. And Samuel eventually arrives and says to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For, the now, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So that's saying this is the key issue of why you were sidelined. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So this wasn't a thing of like, 
Samuel came up to Saul and was like, hey, man, seven days I will come. You go out, draw up the battle lines. I will come in seven days and offer the sacrifice of the Lord. Then you fight and get victory. That's not what happened. The Lord himself, if, if you understand what the word says here, it says the Lord himself commanded Saul. In other words, Saul received from the father instruction, which was wait on the prophet to come. Wait, wait on me. And it's the same thing that happened in the garden. The accuser comes to Saul and he says, Saul, did God really say that he'll come? Did God really say that if Samuel comes, did God really say that you can't offer it yourself? Saul, if, if we don't have an offering here, buddy, like God's not going to save us. You know, the journalist, it's just in your ear of like, did God really say? And that was the issue that, that Saul was on the outside. Well, we've got to honor God. I will offer the sacrifice. And it's like, no, no, you're taking the kingdom into your own hands. Contrast this with David, right? David gets smeared with oil. The word of the Lord comes upon him. You are anointed king. You will be king of Israel. Whose word was that? It wasn't David's. It was God giving him a promise, right? So then 14 years of being hunted and being chased and, and desert and crap. And every time Saul comes into a cave or, or whatever, David said, I am not taking the kingdom into my own hand. I will not touch the anointed because I myself am a man under anointing. Right. And if God has promised, then God is good. And if God is good, he will bring me in. And that is taking God at his word. That's God's love language. God's love language is us taking him at his word. And that is why David was a man after God's heart. When Saul came in, he didn't go, I can take the kingdom. It's like, no, no, no. God loves me. I will walk the higher way and God will bring me into my kingdom. Saul took it into his own hands. And so when it comes to, it's a, it's a form of Ishmael, right? Abraham says, I will take this into my own hands. God's word. It, God says, I'll give you descendants through Sarah, through your own loins. And so he's like, okay, Lord, like I believe you. And then time, time goes by. The seventh day of the battle arrives and there's no children. And so again, the journalist comes and says, did God really say? Did God really say? He's testing whether we'll take God at his word or not. And so, so Abraham's like, yeah, maybe God didn't say that. And so he, he has a child by the maid. He takes God's word into his own hands. And so, so this is where we, we, we get to this thing of like, and even in that case, he, you know, God is, is you know, even with Adam and Eve, it's like, I believe if they had repented, if they had humbled themselves and, and truly repented, it says of Saul, because he never repented. Yeah, I, I'm not going to find it here, but basically after, um, after Samuel said this to him, Saul like freaks out and he's like, no, like just come out and bless me in front of the people so that the people can, can you know, like, please. And Saul's like, dude, screw you. You're done. I'm out of here. And he grabs him by the robe and he's like, please. Just bless me in front of the people. Basically, fear of man, uh, not even like a, a, a sadness. It's more like, I just don't want people to think I'm a bad guy. And he rips Saul's robe and he says, just like you've ripped my robe, uh, Samuel's robe. And, and Samuel says to him, you, you've, ripped, you've ripped my robe. That's how God has ripped this kingdom out of your hand. And so there's, there must be the secret with David that, that we are, we're missing here. 
is that David understood that the only thing that matters is to take God at his word. So he would mess up. You know, he would make these crazy decisions and unwise, foolish things. But he never, he never once got to this place. Uh, what you said there, DVG, David never resigned the throne. He never resigned kingship of I am God's anointed. God has said that I'm on the throne. Then, you know, so when his son Absalom starts causing troubles against him and there's a civil war and he, he has to flee um, Jerusalem, his men say to him, should we take the, the ark with us? Of the 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 um the mercy seat, the presence of God. Should we take it with us? And David says, No. God made me king. And if God wants me to come back here, he will bring me back here. Like that is such king energy. So so that's what I want to get to today. That mindset. Uh Saul virtue signal, DVG, Saul virtue signal to cover his fear. Ironically, Saul impugns Jonathan's manhood for siding with David while Jonathan's action showed himself courageous and is having faith in God during battle. So good. You know, Jonathan had king energy. And again, it all comes down to that thing of Jonathan knew that David was the anointed. So Jonathan, his dad, sin was sidelining him. And he's like, I'm a man under authority. I, I see God's word. So, you know, in all of this, he was a template. You know, it's that famous... That famous uh, Charge of the Light Brigade, those British legends of ours is not to reason why. Ours is to do and die. You know, that's how I look at Jonathan's life of, of he was fully in this Old Covenant, Old Testament. He was fully a template. And he, he knew that he, he was never going to get the throne and that all these curses that came on his father were going to come on him. And at the same time, he could bless David and, and be an amazing uh, man under authority. And so I look at, at Jonathan's death. It's senseless. It's like this guy could have been the greatest king uh, on earth. And I believe he got his reward in heaven. Uh, I believe he, he got his reward because he never, even under the circumstances, he never became a grievance monger. He never gave in to grievance. He never gave in to woe is me. He never gave in to I hate my dad. I hate John, uh, David. He was fully blessed even in this tragic script that he had to live out. His was not to reason why. His was to do and die. And that's for us as men. Same with David, right? For us as Christian men, God's word, you know, there's the general word of you read the Bible. It, it changes your conscience. You know, you know what's, what's right and wrong. You know what's good and bad. You know what's wise and foolish. That's the general instruction of the Lord, the word of the Lord to us. And we start slowly course correcting onto what God's general word is for us. But there will be times where scripture will burn in your heart, where God will come and say to you something very specific for you. And it's like, whoa, this is a word for me, right? What we do with all of this stuff, even just simple things, even just general words, is to literally be, you know, Paul says we train ourselves as soldiers with, with discipline. And that is these British legends of like, ours is not to reason why. If God's word says something that I don't understand and like, oh, God, like it would be a lot cooler if I didn't have to do this or it'll be a lot easier or a lot wiser in my opinion to not do something. That's when we say mine is not to reason why Saul sort of should have stood at that battle with 30,000 men looming over them and about to crush them and said, mine is not to reason why mine is to do and die. Mine is to obey God at his word. Take God at his word. Uh, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, right? 
we will not bow down. We will go in the fire and our God will save us. And even if he doesn't save us, we will still worship the Lord. That, that there was a right understanding of this good God. And it's like, we're going to take God on his goodness. And then, it, and then, and then once you've made that decision, mine is not to reason why mine is to do and die. So when it comes to, to us as Christian men, we have so much guilt of I've done bad things. And half of those things are, they don't even measure up to David. They don't even measure up to Abraham or, or Peter. I've never cut a guy's ear off. I mean, it's, you know, you, you, you attribute insane amount of punishment upon yourself that you think, oh, I have to punish myself. I have to, I have to pay penance for these uh, terrible things I've done. And then you get guys like Donald who are just cruising through life. And they're like, they have zero guilt, zero shame. Why? Right? I, I, I've heard someone say it was really good, but he's like, uh, Easter and Christmas Christians don't struggle with the guilt and shame that, that really sincere uh, men struggle, sincere Christians struggle with because they haven't been uh, loaded uh, with all of these um, legal un- uh, or, or non-New Covenant, Old Covenant um, burdens. You know, they've been, they've been, you've been loaded up. So you come to a church, you get saved, and they say to you like, hey man, uh, you know, you have to be the most moral man in the whole world. And, and, and no one else struggles with sin. None of these men on eldership struggle with sin. None of the lead guys struggle with sin. Uh, the pastor doesn't struggle. He's a perfect Christian. Uh, you know, and we're all like Saul on the outside. Just bless me in front of the people. It doesn't matter what went on in the tent. It doesn't matter what went on behind. Just bless me in front of the people. And so we have this crazy lack of honesty, this crazy lack of understanding of God's grace. You know, when we understand that God loves us and we're his sons, we're not his slaves. We're not. Yes, Paul says, I am a slave. I'm a bond servant of Christ. He's saying that he has given up everything he has. That's concurrently true with I am a son. I am the bride of Christ. You know, how we treat our wives, God is infinitely better in how he treats us as a husband. If you can get your, your mind around that metaphor. <clears throat> DBG, the world uses our guilt to shame, manipulate, and control us. That's why so many white men keep on making penance for all the isms. Exactly. And that's it, chaps. You know, we want to get to this place of I'm clean. You know, David, David, he murders Uriah. Okay. He, he commits adultery by sleeping with Bathsheba. He murders Uriah uh, and probably another couple men who had to die with him in that assault to cover up his sins. And then his, his child dies from the sin of the curse. And he's in sackcloth. He's in mourning and in sackcloth and ashes and, and, repenting before the Lord, right? And the child dies, um, you know, and he was fasting so that this child might live. And his, his servants are afraid to come and tell him that the child has died because they're like, this dude is mourning. Like if I go tell him the bad news, I'm going to get killed. And so, so David notices their change in attitude and he's like, okay, the child's dead. Takes all the, the ash and sackcloth off, goes and has a shower, dresses, eats and he carries on with his life 
he people must have looked at David and been like, this guy is insane. He's insane. One moment, sackcloth and ashes, mourning, stricken by God. Next moment, king, son of God, God's beloved, heart after God, right? And that's the thing we 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 are we are we are trapped. So many churches, they're so afraid. You know, there's that proverb, it says, where no oxen are, the barn is clean. But by the strength of an ox comes much increase. And so what happens is a lot of churches are afraid of men, right? Because men make dirt. We make, we, we're not fit in the box, keep clean, autopilot, little machines, right? We're, we're, we're strange. We're passionate. We're peculiar. We're, we are uncontrollable, ungovernable, right? Most of the time. And we create mess. But by the strength of men is much gain. And so what we have is a church that has tried to either castrate and geld and push down and tie down men through guilt and shame. Uh, or they've kicked men out and kept a nice clean, you know, kick all the Donalds out and keep a nice clean barn. And that's why there's no... There's no efficacy in the culture, right? It's an impotent church without strong men. Think about what your church would look like if Donald was one of your church members. I mean, yeah, Donald's a good a good example, but like maybe not Donald. You know, take take a scaled down Donald, a 40, 50-year-old guy. He's on his third wife. He's He owns all the property in your little town. He's got a few big businesses. Uh, he's charismatic, no guilt. Uh, and he comes in and is part of your church. Most most pastors wouldn't, most Christians in that church wouldn't know what to do, right? They'd be so they'd be so confused in their theology because they'd be like, "Do I condemn this guy for his third wife? Like, what do we do about that? Do I condemn this guy for being shameless?" Do I condemn this guy for being absolutely just manly? And I feel bad because I look up to him and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's cool and high status and I want to be associated with him. Like, what do you do with all of these theological things? You know? And it all comes down to this understanding of, am I guiltless? Am I shameless? And that's where we are as sons, right? You know, if, if you were... If you were God, imagine with me for a second, if you were God in all of your limited capacity to think, and you had a whole bunch of little yous running around as his agents, as his little Christians on earth, man, you would just be like, look at this little guy trying to please me with all his heart. Look at this little guy. Just all he wants is to please me with all his heart. And he struggles against his lusts and he struggles against his desires and he struggles against his insecurities and he struggles to carry these burdens that he has. And, and I just want him to know that I love him, you know, and, and God is just like, I love you. You're my boy. You're my son. I love you. And, and we can't understand this. We can't, we can't fit this in. So Jesus has to come to earth as one of these little guys, right? So I, as God, Scott, have to come to earth as Jesus, Scott. So now I'm on earth, right? I'm, I'm among 
these little Scots running around. And what's my message? Chaps, God loves you. Repent. The kingdom of, of, the kingdom of our father is at hand. You are sons. You are, you are kings. I am the king of kings. I am the older brother. I am the first. But you're all my younger brothers. You're all my king, the kings that I am king of. When you see me, you see the father. You are me, right? As Jesus is, so are we. As Scott Jesus is, so are little Scots in this world. Like this is blasphemous stuff if it wasn't from Jesus himself, you know? And, and we, these little Scots running around are like, yeah, but Scott, I, I did something bad. I, I messed up. And it's like, yeah, I know. I see you in secret. I see you in secret, little Scott. You know, and, and we're like, we're like, but God, I'm hiding from you. You know, it's, it's Adam in the garden, right? Adam, where are you? It's like, oh God, I'm naked. It's like, yeah, I made you naked. <laughs> you know? Alrighty. DVG, ironically, many Easter Christians have fewer problems with things like porn because they treat it as a time management productivity issue, while every Sunday guys remain addicted to this abomination. Exactly, bro. And they're addicted because they can't let loose with the full passion of God blesses what I'm trying to do. You know, if you read Deuteronomy 28 as a as a huge permission slip, that's it. We're all looking for permission from God to be me, right? Because all I've ever had is you're broken, you're sinful, you're shameful, you're a wretch, you're an orphan. Your desires are evil. Your habits are evil. You are a wretch. Now pay me tats. Watch this draft. Deuteronomy 28, this is the old covenant. This is the, this is the worse, the, the badder, the poorer covenant. And this is what God says. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it goes on for... Another 10 verses, just blessed in the field, blessed in the city, blessed is the work of your hand, blessed are your storehouses, blessed are your children, blessed when you travel, blessed, blah, 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 blessed, 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 like bless. But what are the contingencies in the old covenant? That you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now in the new, the new covenant, we have a better priest, a new high priest, a better covenant, a new covenant, right? And this priest says, I am your righteousness. My blood has covered all of your sins, right? The, the Israelites, the old covenant Israelites, they could sin and do as much crap as they wanted. But if they painted that door on Passover, if they painted that door with the blood of the lamb, the angel of death would pass over them. The angel of punishment, the angel of shame, the angel of guilt would pass over their house would pass over their bank accounts, would pass over their business and their family and their marriage and their children, would pass over. You could have been the dickest, biggest, ass douche, sinner. Moses murdered a guy, right? Moses murdered a guy, hid his body, and then he goes and he paints his door with the blood of the lamb and he walks through it and he's safe, passed over. That's, that's the old, that's the old, the worst covenant. The new covenant of his blood. Jesus says, eat my blood, drink, 
eat my flesh, drink my blood. In other words, paint the door of your life and come in to this new identity, regardless of what you've done. Boom, guilt, gone. Shame, gone. Fear of death, gone. Fear of rejection, gone. Fear of punishment, gone. Like, I'm free. I'm a new man, guiltless, shameless. And now to go back to, to Robert, you're saying the double-edged sword. And now I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm free. So I can just go and, and blow cocaine and go to the brothel. It's like, you can. You mean I can just go and rob the bank? You can. You can. And still be the son of God. And still be totally loved. And still be a son king. And this is where the double-edged sword comes in. You go rob the bank, you're going to go be a son king in jail. You go and, and do cocaine, you're going to be a son king who blows his nose out and his bank account, and you're going to die early. You go to the brothel, you're going to be the son king who gets an STD and, and four girls pregnant, and now you've got a whole bunch of girls fighting over you, and your life's a, a wreck, right? You can do all the things and still be loved by God, a son king. And then this is what, what God says to you. is like, I love you. My ways are better than your ways. Follow my ways. Follow my ways. Get into my ways so that you can be a king who reigns in full splendor. You know, you, you want to, you want to, you want to be holy, not out of a thing of, oh, I've got to avoid hell. See, that that ticket is written, that ticket is done. That's the old covenant of like, gotta get saved, brother, otherwise the flames are gonna lick you. And it's like, sure, that's fine if you get saved because of that. You know, that's like. That's like 30-fold thinking, you know, of just, just get saved, brother. We might as well shoot that guy in the head the moment he prays the prayer so that he can go to heaven and then not live the rest of his life in guilt-ridden, avoiding the flames lifestyle, right? We want this hundredfold lifestyle of I am, excuse the, this is hard for our religious mind to, to, to understand, but I am Jesus on earth, right? Jesus said to the disciples when he's ascending, he says, it is better that I leave that the Holy Spirit may come, you guys go. You go be Christ on earth. You go be me. You, you walk around and pretend that you are me. You walk around and pretend that you are David. Pretend that you're Abraham. You walk around and be the king that I made you to be. I am the king. You are the kings that I am king of. And it's like, you can't, sh and that's why it's so hard for so many uh, churches to preach this. Because you can't control Donald when he's in your church, right? If you're some weak sauce, soy, liberal pastor, and you get a scaled down Donald, David, Peter, Abraham coming to your church, it's like you have no power to shame him. You have no power to guilt trip him, to obligate him, right? And so you're actually afraid of him because he's higher status than you. Because you're, you're, you've got fear of of Competition anxiety, fear of losing my hierarchy, fear of being other people liking him more than me. And it's like, no, no, no. Like Saul, if he understood who David was and that, that Saul was anointed, David would have been the most bad. At, like, David, please be general of my army. Like you've got this young boy who's willing to die for you, who's willing to go and kill giants for you, who's willing to go and cut dicks off for you. It's like the 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 secure man says, Wow, that's an honor. That's an honor. Like to have this man in a relationship with me and willing to submit himself under my hierarchy, that's an honor. And I give due honor back. 
you know, it's possible, chaps, to have a hierarchy of kings, right? Of we're not trying to big dick each other. We're not trying to push each other down to, oh, there's only one space at the top. It's like, no, the top is the top is spacious. There's Liebensraum. There's, there's just glory. When we understand that we're not competing for scarcity, we're not competing for scarce resources and attention and, and, oh God, will you see me today? It's like, I always see you, boy. I see you in secret and I reward you openly. I don't punish you openly. I reward you openly because you're my boy. You're my son. You're the king that I'm king of. DVG, Donald famously complained about not being able to watch porn in White House while building real protections for church. Other politicians are too pussy to admit that, but don't actually help the church. Let me read that again. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's the thing. You get these dudes who are so intensely moral. I, I know quite a few guys who wouldn't consider themselves a a type uh, a model a Christians, but they're one of the most moral. They are, there's a few guys I'm, I think of who are super moral. They are, they are imaging God better than many Christians who proclaim themselves in the streets and blow trumpets and virtue signal. And it's like, they are busy being kings in their domain. I think that's, that's the biggest thing is they, they have no time to be, oh God, am I doing what you want me to do? Oh God, you know, that was our, our live stream yesterday of, of dad, I'll do anything for you, dad. Just tell me what to do, dad. And we live these impotent lives of, well, I just went and got a, a day job and, and I just went and got married and I'm not really passionate about any of it. I'm just, I'm just hoping not to make a mistake. You know, we live our whole lives hoping not to make a mistake when these other dudes are just like crushing, just being kings, right? Boldness of, I'm, I'm going to make it happen. If it's going to be, it's up to me. You know, and that's, it's like, God's like, awesome. You're making a plan in your heart. I'm going to direct your steps. You're, you're going hard. I'll go hard with you. You know, that's Jonathan and his shield bearer, right? Jonathan says to his shield bearer, he's like, all right, let's go cause a fight. And if God's for us, then maybe he'll fight on our behalf. And if not, ours is not to reason why. Ours is to do and die. Let's go get it. And they go, right? And God blesses their boldness, blesses their absolute ballsiness. It's awesome. Praise God. Rob, iron sharpens iron. Exactly. You know, and that's it, man. We want to get around men. You know, getting around men with slave identity will make you a slave. Getting around, and okay, let me qualify that because that wasn't true for David. David had 400 rejects come around him and he, out of the force of his will and identity, changed them to be like him, right? And that's my prayer for us is that is that regardless of who is around us, we we would begin to to just by the force of our own identity, start to encourage other men to be bold, encourage other men to be shameless, encourage other men to emulate Christ and become a king in their domain. However, we need to start having boundaries around men who are not iron, around men who are soy, right? Iron sharpens iron. We want to be around iron men. We don't want to be around soy softens soy. Hey, chaps, now that's a, that's a great... Take that one to the bank. Soy softens soy. DBG, paying for women child support is a hard spanking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm just excited, chaps. I'm excited that 
you know, there's 7,000 of us. There's 7,000 of us who have not bowed the knee to shame. There's 7,000 of us who have not bowed the knee to slave thinking, to, to this fatherlessness, right? God is a bad father. Because that's what, that's what Adam and Eve thought in the garden, right? The journalist says to them, did God really say? And so Eve gets to thinking like, God's withholding from me. God's bad. I hate God. Give me the apple. Same with, with Saul. You know, did God really say he'd come through? Did God really say that you're a king forever? And Saul's like, no, he didn't. If I lose this battle, I lose my kingship. Give me that sacrifice. And it's like, geez, chaps, come on. Let's take God at his word, you know. So I'm excited, chaps. I think uh, just to encourage you, it's been a, a good stream today. Jo uh, DBG, Jonathan was man enough to say Saul's virtue signal of a vow about eating was stupid. He said, screw the virtue signaling and instead win battles. Exactly. Jonathan, chaps, I'm telling you right now, that dude, when we get to heaven, he's going to have one of the biggest crowns. That guy, Jonathan was, he was Jesus on earth in his, in his own uh, tragedy that he had to, he had to walk out. What a boss. You could learn a lot by studying his life. So yeah, chaps, um, how do you deal with, with, we'll end on this. How do you deal with, with shame and guilt? A lot of guilt has to do with us setting up expectations of morality and then failing them, right? Self-righteousness, which is pride, right? God, if I, if I can not do these things that I'm habitually struggling with, then I'll be righteous. Jesus comes along and says, you are righteous. I am your righteousness. So one of the things that really helps me, you know, when, when, when you struggle with your lusts and you struggle with your, your desires is to say, God, like I, I throw this burden on you. You know, I am, the, uh, I think it's in Corinthians. You can just do a Google search or, or look it up, but it says that I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, that through Jesus Christ's sacrifice, I have attained the righteousness of God. It's like, whoa, I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. That's a declaration, chaps. You know, so when you're struggling, you know, you say, God, I cast this desire on you because you're good. And you made me who I am. You made me with my desires. You made me to be a man. And it's like, and I know you're good. And it's not mine to reason why. It's mine to do and die. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Say that. Say that of yourself. You know, um, and and an, another another part of that as well, chaps, is to if you're if you're dealing with that guilt of that expectations of like God, is this is this your expectation for me, or is this me putting Pharisaical expectations on myself? You know, and I'm not saying to to just give in to your addictions and just give in uh, to debaucherous living and. You know, it's good to fight. It's good to, it's good. To, you know, th these, these things are all common to all of us. You know, it's to stop the lie. I think that's it. It's to stop the lie that you are the only one who deals with this thing. Because that's where the expectations and these pharisaical levels come to is that I'm the only guy struggling with these habits or these lusts or these temptations. And, to, and Saul say, uh, Paul says these temptations are common to every man. Every man, even that really shiny looking Christian guy, he's dealing with stuff that, 
that he's not showing anyone. He's not telling anyone. You know, and so for us to get away from this thing of I have to be squeaky clean. I have to be unblemished. You know, Jesus Christ made me unblemished. Jesus Christ made me clean. I am clean. And so I am guiltless. I am shameless. That's that's a chaps, that's a great declaration to make, by the way. And a lot of guys will be like, oh Scott, how dare you? That's blasphemous. And it's like, no. Chaps, stop putting wretch in your Twitter bio. Stop putting sinner in your Twitter bio. Like we have to get this, chaps, that I am a son. I am a son. I am a son. I am a son. I am the blood of Jesus is on my life. When was the last time you took communion? Go take communion. Go drink that, that wine and eat that bread and declare of yourself the, the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ is smeared. The anointing oil of David is for, for us is the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Is that no matter what I have done in my past, no matter what I continue to do, I am son whom my father loves. You know, a lot of us have never heard that from our, our real fathers. Son, I love you. And with you, I'm well pleased. Like, you know, that is what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord. Change it and say, I, I fear my dad, right? With my dad, I would have done anything to hear him say, son, I'm proud of you. Son, I love you. Son, I'm well pleased with you. You know, if he gives you a task, if he says, hey, go drop this off, go collect that, go complete this, and you go and do, 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 you're doing it out of the fear of disappointing your dad. That's what the fear of the Lord is. I love my father so much. He's such a good dad. I want to be just like him. And so I want to please him by doing what he has told me to do, the word that he has given me to do. And even then, if I fail, it's not a thing of like, Oh crap, I crashed the I crashed the truck on the way to, you know, because I did that once I, I messed up my dad's truck. It's like you don't run away, you don't go hide in the garden, you phone your dad. Why? Because he loves you. Dad, I crashed the truck. He's like, boy, I'll be there. Where are you? That is our father in heaven. You know, we so we so fear disappointing him that we all we want to do is please him. That's the fear of the Lord right? It's not the fear of run away from him. It's run to him. You know, dad, I'm struggling with, with these thoughts. Dad, I'm struggling with these desires. Dad, I, I messed up. I did this, this, and this. Prodigal son, chaps. The prodigal son would not be touched with a 10-foot pole if he was in your church today by Christians. You know, he wished his father was dead. That's what he said to his dad. He's like, dad, give me my inheritance. You know what that means? I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And he goes off to the, to the city. He blows it on brothels and cheap women and drugs and party life. Blows it. Messes it up. Then comes to the end of himself and he's feeding pigs. He's a slave. He's basically sold himself into cheap labor because he can't even, he can't even, no one likes him. No one will give him a job. No connections, trust fund connections of Go get a job as an HR consultant. No, he's feeding pigs. And when he's feeding the pigs, he's eating the soy. He's eating the hard soy pieces just to survive. And he's sitting there, probably with an STD, probably thin and emaciated and stinky and shameful and guilty and grieved 
and angry. And he says, if I could just go back to my dad and ask him to be a slave. You know, that's where a lot of these guys on the Twitter bio, they, they're, they're 30, they're, they're 30 fold. Like they've got it there, right? Rich, sinner, orphan, prodigal son, right? But they, he didn't stay there. He goes back and he says, dad, I'm sorry. I repent. Can you, you forgive me? And, and, and don't even, don't even worry about forgiving me. I don't need to be forgiven. Can I just be a slave in your house? And his father from afar off sees him coming and he's like, here comes my boy. Here comes my boy. This is my son whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Kill the cow, get the food ready. It's party time. Go tell everyone that my son who was dead is now alive. Let's have a party. And, and chaps, that is this God. That is the sonship that we've got to figure out and understand. DVG, sometimes you have to prioritize which foible you're going to work with first. Obesity kills worse than porn. Yeah, exactly. And again, it's obesity is not the sin. Porn is not the sin. Lying is not the sin. Uh, there's a root and that root is fear, you know, or that root is not understanding that God loves you, you know. So with obesity, a lot of girls get fat because they were sexually abused, so they don't want guys to be attracted to them anymore, or they're comfort eating, right? A lot of guys get fat because they don't have a mission. They have no purpose in life. They have no drive, right? And so, oh, I'm just going to eat soy. And they become this fat, obese, and it's like, is there sin? Yes, you know. But that sin is not being obese. That sin is not watching porn. That sin is not stealing and lying. The sin is, you know, for, for stealing and lying, for lying, the sin is, I, I believe I'll be punished if I tell the truth. And so I'm afraid of being punished. I'm going to lie. Uh, stealing is, I don't believe God will provide for me. Or I don't believe I can get this in a way that's the higher way. And so I steal. I take with my own hand. You know, there's underlying things for us. And a lot of it just comes back to, is God good? Is, does God see me in secret? Does God love me? And it's like, no, he doesn't love me. He's, he's ashamed of me. He, I need to go hide. You know, that's where we are as, as a society is where we, we're shame. I am bad. You know, and God's just like, my boy, come home. Come home, champ. Alrighty. Gents, love you. Uh, praise God. May he uh, bless you with all the full blessings of Deuteronomy 28. What a, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful day. What a wonderful time to be alive. And we'll see you tomorrow. Actually, I'm going to go coach rugby tomorrow. So I'll probably do a stream a bit earlier tomorrow. Righty, chaps. Have a good one.